Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Automation Untangled. My name is Matt Agnew, and today I have the great honor of having the guest Tom Tolley on with us today. So Tom is an author and business advisor, and Tom has written such books such as Artificial Intelligence Basics, a non-technical introduction, which is great for people like me. I am not technical at all. And the Robotic Process Automation Handbook, a guide to implementing RPA systems. So Obviously, when we started a podcast such as getting to making sure that we can untangle and understand some of the you know, more complicated elements of intelligent automation and robotic process automation, we wanted to have Tom on as well. So, Tom, how are you today? I'm doing really good. Thanks. Awesome. So as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Tom is an author on a lot of things related to intelligent automation. So, Tom, how did you get started in this space? Uh, well, I've been in the technology space uh, since I was in high school, So, uh, but uh, RPA was uh, uh, nowhere to be found back then, back in the early 80s. Uh, in terms of RPA, uh, that was uh, a lot of the work. I, I, you know, I, I've done a lot of writing for Forbes in the past, and uh, you know, I, I keep track of what goes on with AI and different categories of technology. And then uh, I just saw that all this, uh, kind of out of nowhere, uh, this thing called RPA uh, started to emerge, and um, um, I've, I've known about I had known about RPA anyway, but it was considered more of a backwater. Just kind of wasn't even considered much, you know, very sophisticated technology. Just kind of screen scraping. Um, but when I looked at it, I saw that there, these companies were growing very quickly and raising lots of capital. So I thought this is something I should take a look at. And so after I published my AI basics book. My editor wanted to do a book on RPA, and she reached out to me because I wrote a chapter on RPA in the AI book, and that's that's kind of how it got started. Wonderful. You know, and it's funny because RPA is one of those things, robotic process automation, it's been around for a while, but I do find that even seasoned IT professionals still aren't really using it yet in every industry so you know i know most people that listen to this podcast and most people that blueprint software systems deals with as a company are usually kind of far along on their automation journey but just taking a step back here what's the big appeal for a business here with, with rpa well the, you know rpa is uh, just like any other uh, buzzword and technology and i think it was created by uh back about 10 years ago uh, by uh, the chief evangelist at Blue Prism. Blue Prism is one of the large uh, software vendors in RPA. And at the time, you know, they think they try to want to get beyond the screen scraping concept and show that this is a this is a big technology, a big idea. Um, but what you know, for someone who's not familiar with RPA and or you know, um, RPA really is about creating. You know, traditionally it's about creating bots, software. These are not. Now, some people confuse these with physical robots. Uh, yeah. Nothing physical about them. There's software, and uh, they perform certain tasks or procedures or functions, uh, just like computer coding does. But the the, the advantage with um, with a the bot for RPA is it's specific to certain processes. Usually, you know, traditionally it's been you know say uh, handling an invoice or uh, processing certain types of data in an organization, um, and it could it could record different steps, just like a macro. You save that, and then you can launch that that automation. 
uh, why why it's become big uh, is I think a couple factors, but uh, one is um, there's just so much IT legacy systems out there, and uh, you know these systems were were meant to improve productivity, but in a lot of cases just created a lot of bad processes. So RPA is a way to go into this legacy software and improve the product, you know, so people don't waste their time on cutting, you know, sometimes as simple as cut and paste, uh, moving data from point A to point B. And there's obviously more sophisticated automations, but the key is that um, largely, you know, compared to a lot of other enterprise software, it tends to be easier to install and to get started with, and also to faster to get to ROI. So you combine those key facts, uh, you know, it should be no surprise that we've seen a lot of growth uh, in this industry. Yeah, and I find it really interesting that you talk about the ease of use, because that's one thing that I find that I don't know if necessarily has answered on the promise yet, because one thing we've been hearing for a while is this concept of citizen developers. So the regular folks out there like me, you know, who can use a tool and create an automation themselves. So it's, and I completely understand that. And I remember when I first found out that Microsoft Power Automate was included with Windows 10 and logging in and, and you know, the, the online version. I'm like, you know what, this is great. I have a report I have to do every week. I'm gonna automate it and have it automatically sent to a team's channel every week to a bunch of people. And, you know, I'm a, I've been in the IT space for a while and I, I couldn't get it to work the way I wanted it to. So, you know, I, I, I know there's companies that have developed successful citizen development programs, but it's definitely not really where it's been. So do you see that as a realistic goal for RPA? And if so, what, what's kind of stopping it from becoming widespread? Yeah, when I said uh, uh, user-friendly or ease of use, in the context of use of, uh, enterprise software, which historically has been anti-user, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it usually required some people with, you know, technical background. And um, what was a little different this time with RPA is that, you know, just like recording, you know, uh, you know, a mouse or an input or this thing on, on your computer, it was done in a way that was a little, a little simpler than that would typically be the case uh, with enterprise software. Um, yeah, in terms of the citizen developer, um, yeah, I, I, you know, to, to be a really good developer of automation, a lot of times you have to take certifications and UiPath and these big companies have certifications and, um, you know, it's, it's not insignificant. I mean, it does, you got to study and you got to, you kind of have a bit of a technical mindset, uh, to be good at it. Uh, you don't have to be a C++ programmer, but you know, but you do have to know some of the technical aspects. So, um, in the you know, so you know, uh, in terms of the citizen developer, I think where we're seeing uh, more traction is with the low code, no code mm -hmm. uh, providers, um, where literally it's more like a drag and drop uh, and uh, more hand holding uh, for you. But you do sacrifice because you do get to this point where you can't do really sophisticated automations because that does, you know, you know I mean, to be, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, you have to have some technical capability to manage complex IT systems. Um, so we haven't got to the point where we, we can get around that. 
but you know we got these things you know we just see the seen the uh chat gpt um you know the there is a future out there where you know maybe it could be something where you just describe what you want the automation to do and the, the system is smart enough to figure out how to do it within your own system i think we're not there yet but you know that that's a possibility I think for me, it's I just kind of want to get to the middle ground where there is because, you know, like I said, Power Automate, you know, did a lot of those things. It's just the problem was not necessarily with Power Automate. It's that, you know, again, I'll give you an example that I tried a couple of years, you know, two years ago when I first discovered Power Automate, you know, the online version, not desktop, was that, um, again, I was trying to set up an automated report and emails weren't landing and things were getting caught in spam folders and, you know, and then I was working for um, a tech organization at the time. So we had, there was Microsoft filters catching it and there was an external filter catching it and there were security filters catching it. So there was five things that I didn't have access to that somewhere this email was getting lost in. So that was kind of preventing me from just being able to set it up. So it wasn't even the software. It was just, again, like you said, complex IT systems. And that's why I really struggle if we're ever going to get there. And I, I would love it. because again, I would love it if I had a program where I could go in and, and, you know, take off three hours of my week, you know, with certain things and especially, you know, being a marketing person and, and help salespeople do that as well. But I just, it seems to me, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of it because I think we're, it, I think we're going to need a fairly big jump. Like I almost think we're maybe five, 10 years away from a software solution coming out that's able to do mm -hmm. that, let alone what you said, where I can just mention it and something cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I've been around the block enough to to realize whenever a vendor says certain things you take it with a big grain of salt and usually they're not going to solve all your problems and uh you know just just when you just finished all you know implementing the system and learning about it it becomes legacy um you know and integration is just one of those areas that you know is going to be a business that's going to be important for, for probably as long as i live um so um yeah the, these issues uh don't go away and i don't think there's a silver bullet that will cure everything. And then, you know, I mean, there, there are, you know, you know, about these big enterprises, you know, if you go to a bank, a major bank, most likely they have mainframes. Um, what do you do with RPA with that? Mm -hmm. um, really, there's, there's certain things you can do, but not a lot. Um, so there's a lot of legacy systems out there that, uh, you know, We'll, we'll be there for a long time and uh, we'll, we'll make it complicated, uh, you know, to make these, you know, these for these so-called digital transformation efforts, uh, because, it, you know, it's not realistic to just go in there and just start ripping out technology and mm -hmm. replacing it when your whole business may be, you know, running on that critical technology. And, 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 it, and it also, if that technology is working, you know, do you really have to go and try something new just because it's the cool thing to do. Yeah. I love that you yeah. said that. And I know that's one thing I've seen in the IT space a lot where you have executives saying, you know, they, they are out there and they hear the words digital transformation and they say, and they go to their CIO and say, go do it. Right. You know, go to the mm -hmm. cloud, make new things, automate everything. And what, like you said, you know, that banking example is really interesting because a lot of times the CIOs know that their technology can't support that. Yeah, so we, it's it's a lot of times people go, oh, digital transformation, sure, let's go. But there's several steps that happen to happen first. So I find that a yeah. really interesting part as well, and another challenge when it comes to RPA. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, but but I have to say, RPA has done a really good job compared to other like um, enterprise software systems. Um, maybe the bar is not too high, um, <laughs> but but the, I think uh, they've definitely exceeded expectations because I think early on it was dismissed as you know just a not really you know kind of a trivial type technology. It's it's actually turned out to be quite sophisticated and also, you know, important for companies to, 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 to make some changes and improve their, their systems. I agree. I agree. I, I think RPA is definitely a must have. I find even, you know, I've talked to some large companies out there that even though they're using RPA, they're, RPA, they're still a little bit behind with certain things. And I think to me, you know, and the reason we started this podcast, and I imagine the reason why you advise, you know, your position and the reason people want to read books that you're putting together out there is, you know, things like RPA were kind of promised as these all-encompassing tools, right? It was, you know, Blue Prism, you could use that and you could do everything, you're good. And that necessarily wasn't the case. And on top of that, it was almost too good where people automated things and like, wow, that was fast, that was good, and they went crazy. And there, so there was this kind of cowboy approach to robotic process automation for a while. And I know we, we keep wanting to solve our problems with software. And I, you know, I think my next question for you is we all understand RPA tools, like we get that. You wanna be in, the, in this business or this practice, you wanna have an RPA tool. And then there's things like process discovery tools as well to help you get that information as well. What other solutions do you need? So say you know, you're an advisor, say you're talking to a large business that's really looking to do this, what tool stack do they really need to be successful here? Well, you know, I, if they're starting off on that journey, uh, you know, uh, probably, uh, you know, <laughs> I would look at, you know, there's the old saying, you, you want that company to be around tomorrow, yeah, uh, <laughs> your vendor to be around tomorrow. Uh, this is probably more important than ever before because, uh, you know, next year's probably going to be a tough year for uh, IT uh, vendors and probably for, um, uh, RPA vendors, because I think they're, you, know, you go to g2.com and you type in RPA, you're going to have pages and pages of yeah. vendors. And if the funding is drying up, you know, what's going to, what will happen with these, these vendors? Are they going to sell out or are they going to just go away and, or will they even have the resources? So, you know, for, for me, it's more about, um, you know, getting a sense of the vision of that vendor you know, the resources that they have, um, you know, like you, you mentioned, you know, uh, Microsoft's Power Automate, um, obviously they're gonna be here for, for a long time. <laughs> and um, they, they're going to, it sounds like, it, you know, it is a high priority for the company, uh, this, this platform. Really ties into a lot of stuff they do anyway. A lot of, a lot of companies have Microsoft implementations. So, you know, I think the first step is finding that vendor that's going to provide long-term stability and innovation and resources. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the other thing is, you know, before you even do all that is, you know, kind of come up with a plan about what it is that you want to accomplish. Um, you know, and a lot of times I think if you're starting, it's just the lower, lower hanging fruit. You know, to, I mentioned invoicing. That's, that's usually one, you know, a lot of these back office areas are a good place to start. The customer facing areas you got to be careful about because you don't want to anger a customer uh, by doing something and making a mistake. So I think it's just 
building those RPA muscles over time uh, with uh, you know very clear definable objectives and getting those wins. Uh, and then I think the other thing too, it's, I don't think it's, it, you know, a lot of this is about people and you can buy a lot of software, but if, if you don't have an organization behind it or buy-in or path, it's just going to collect dust. Um, so, you know, the COEs have been popular because of that. It's just, you know, having, you know, a sense of, you know, who's in charge, where, where to go when you need to do things, what the strategy is, a show of why this is important because the company is putting resources behind it. Uh, so I do think, uh, you know, that is important. Um, and then this is all before going into all this AI stuff or machine mm -hmm. learning stuff, or, you know, those are down the road. Um, you know, you want to build a, a solid foundation and and work your way up to that point uh, if you try to do all that at once uh, you'll probably fail uh, with that technology and that's unfortunate because i think a lot of these, these types of technologies are important but you know they, they come with a certain time and um maturity or whatever whatever you want to say about your organization at what point that they can start adopting this because you start throwing a lot of things out of organization that they're going to fight back I agree. And I, I love that you said you have to find out what you want to do first. And I was thinking about this the other day and it kind of, you know, a lot of these IT problems, and you've heard this, nothing's necessarily new, you know, even RPA, right. the concept is new, but it's just a different form of development and a, a different yeah. way of doing it. You know, a lot of the strategies are similar, but, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. It reminded me of when, you know, like Wi-Fi really became a pervasive thing and everybody had Wi-Fi and you're putting in the office. And I think it was, you know, IT teams got, wow, we don't need wires anymore. Let's throw open AP here. Let's throw open AP here and we have Wi-Fi. And then, you know, you had these dead spots and you had mm -hmm. these complaints where it wasn't working and you had all these, these issues with it, right? And I think that was a common thing. I think now we're at a spot now where most people haven't figured out, but it was years where, you know, I'm sure, you know, you know, you go to a library, it doesn't work. You know, you go to a guest, you know, you're a guest visiting a place and the Wi-Fi is just not working right. And I, I see a lot of similarities with that and RPA, where RPA needs to, to catch up a little bit, because I think it was similar, where they're like, wow, let's just automate stuff. Let's just go ahead and throw it out there. But you're right. We absolutely have to think about what we're doing first. And with Wi-Fi, that's really how we were able to figure out and doing it right. Okay, so how many people need to use this? How many guests are we going to have? How many, uh, you know, is there a department that has more bandwidth requirements than others? Is there, are there any large structural objects that might prevent the signal from going to where it needs to be, right? So it's when you ask those questions, you end up getting the right solution. It's the same thing with RPA, where I think people didn't do that at first. And now <laughs> we're stepping back with that center of excellence and saying, yes, let's ask these questions and let's build the right solution. Right, right. I also think uh, COVID threw a wrench in the works too, because a lot of companies were forced to, to, to in a very quick way to adopt the automation technologies like RPA. And so they may not have been implemented in the, with the highest best practices in mind. Um, and now that things have calmed down, uh, companies are now looking at their systems and wondering, you know, how do we manage all these bots? Do we need all these bots? What? And these bots are not cheap either. Um, and um, so I think next year is going to be a year where there's probably going to be some undoing of what was implemented or 
ripping out certain systems uh, or like you, you mentioned, I think uh, before this, we had talked earlier about migration um, that, uh, you know, those are going to be uh, serious considerations because now there's some time to, well, one, there's been a couple of years for some of these companies to evaluate the results. And if the results weren't there, uh, you know, they, they, you know, will take action. And whenever there's slowing a slowing economy, it's a lot easier to make those types of decisions. You know, when, when everything's great, and money is free and, you know, you could, you could try all kinds of stuff and not get penalized. Uh, that's not going to be the case next year, you know, you know, so um, companies will, will be under the gun for ROI. And, you know, that means that some of these vendors will be maybe thrown out, thrown out just yeah. because. Uh, yeah. I agree. And I'm curious your opinion, because, you know, you know, again, we talked a little bit, uh, you know, beforehand about, you know, some of these vendors out here, we've already mentioned, you know, the UI paths and Blue Prism, and there's companies like Automation Anywhere, and it's typically those three that kind of own this space. And I think, you know, UiPath is still technically the most superior option. But, you know, in all three of these cases, there's something going on that makes people pause. Like you mentioned, you want a solution that's there tomorrow and in five years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, UiPath, you know, they, they've been having some some turmoil where they, they have two CEOs and they're, you know, <laughs> certain, you know, their, their stock prices are noticeable, you know, things are going on there. Blue Prism has been around for a while. It's still, you know, there's still some complications there. Automation Anywhere kind of created this event where, you know, when they moved from the on-prem to the cloud version, where it was almost like you had to move, you know, to a brand new solution anyways. So that kind of made people think, let's see what out there. And then I think that's interesting is this was the first year where Microsoft Power Automate was in the, the upper right-hand quadrant for the Gardner mm-hmm. Magic quadrant. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about this where, you know, right now, Technically, it does not compare to UiPath. I think we all understand that. I think that makes sense. But what always makes me think, and this is what you were, you made me think about this earlier, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. When you're talking about something that's going to be there tomorrow, again, I remember seeing a lot of, I think Microsoft has a long history of entering a market late to the game mm-hmm. and then either owning it or being one of the top players. Sure. And I think we saw that with SharePoint, you know, years ago where that came in and that was, you know, people in that space thought that was a joke at first. And, you know, OneDrive, same thing. You know, Dropbox was already the leader in that. And then OneDrive came along. Again, a very good solution. Azure was a little bit late with things. And everyone's using Azure now. And I think most recently, Microsoft Teams. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember in 2019 evaluating Teams to be a primary phone system when I was a product manager. And the IT guy saw it was a joke. Like, it was like, you know, there were Reddit threads kind of saying how ridiculously behind it was. And then just one day they caught up. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of see something similar for Power Automate. So what are your thoughts on kind of how Power Automate will kind of continue to disrupt this market? Yeah, well, um, yeah, uh, the, the classic one is is Windows for, for Microsoft. Yeah. I think they were thinking about it in the early 80s. And it wasn't until Windows 3.0 that uh, it was really worth anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft usually takes a few iterations to yeah. to, to get to get a, to get traction. Um, I think the same is probably with Power Automate, um, but usually they don't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that flywheel goes, and it it really starts. And you know all those resources, great technical talent, huge customer bases, um, and also just people are familiar with Microsoft products. Um, yeah, you know, so the learning curve is usually not as as difficult, 
and um, it's probably easier, you know, it becomes easier, especially in these times, easier to justify saying, well, we'll go with Microsoft. Um, <laughs> you're not going to be laughed out of the room, usually, if you say that, um, and um, as opposed to some small RPA vendor that may have this cool, cool system, might be, it might even be better. Uh, but they're going to say, well, what is that? And you have to go through this whole process of, you know, evaluating it. Sometimes it's just so much easier to go with a, a vendor like Microsoft. I also think that the pricing model is is uh, much more uh, attractive, right, mm -hmm. versus some of these other. All these companies like UI, UiPath and so forth built empires off of high price software. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's going to be more more difficult to to justify in the next few years when the economy slows down. And so then you have Microsoft with, you know, they've been around, they've, they've been at it for a while, a few iterations on, on Power Automate. So it is getting really good. And like you said, on the quadrant, they're moving in the right direction. And it's, it's affordable and it's easier to work with because it's just people know Microsoft products. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know, Microsoft has a history of just working with so many other players and, you yeah. know, so, you know, they understand working with other types of vendors or suppliers. So they know how to create ecosystems um, and even go way back in the, the earliest days of Microsoft. You know, they originally started as a developer tools company. Mm -hmm. So they have, you know, over 40 years experience creating great developer tools. Um, so you just put, I mean, they have so many advantages uh, on this one. So yeah, I do think, uh, you know, if I were to look at one of the big trends for next year, I would say is, is probably they're capturing a market share by uh, by Power Automate. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And I, like I said, I just when they want to do something, they typically do it. Yeah, you know, like you said, you've been seeing this for a while. Like I just kind of going back to my Microsoft Teams. It's you know everyone uses Teams now, and it's you know people use it as a primary phone system, and it's it's a good, it's a really great tool, and it's and it's just it was. Again, like I remember people being scared of it and stuff, but it's just, uh, it's it's great now. And I think just because technically when they want to catch up, they can, they have the resources. Mm -hmm. and, and I also think they do a good job of learning. They see what's mm -hmm. out there and they talk to their clients that have adopted earlier and they and they improve. So I think that's what they, they've always done. And I see the same thing. And I don't necessarily think all the other ones will go away right. right away. I mean, eventually they might, but I think it's just Microsoft as a real serious player out there. Right. And right. it's more, they're going to be taking more, much more of the market share than they did in the past. It's, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't see UiPath or the big, big three going out of business uh, mm -hmm. and moving, you know, some of these companies have complicated and extensive implementations of those, of those RPA systems. So they'd have to really have to justify. I mean, I mean, they have employees that have, certified on it they, they they understand it it's part of their part of their system it they would have it'd have to be it there would have to be a, quite a bit to justify that but these mid or smaller players i think it's gonna be a tough road the next few years uh for them yeah i agree you know and you know one thing we're skipping around here just because you're, you're you always i feel like you know this is one of the first times you and i are having a longer conversation mm -hmm. but we were definitely hit on a lot of the same things and i wanted to talk a little bit more about the idea of a, a center of excellence. And again, being mm -hmm. with you being an advisor, I'm really curious kind of how you guide some, because I think even though there's there, I've talked to companies that are far along with our pay, but mm -hmm. still don't quite have a center of excellence yet, or their center of excellence in automation is new. 
Mm-hmm. Again, how, how do you guide people when they want to either improve their center of excellence or create one from the first mm-hmm. time? What are some tips for doing that? Uh, well, my book has a chapter on uh, COEs uh, where I go through the, the process. Um, it doesn't have to be very long. I mean, it doesn't have to be, um, in fact, you don't want it to be bureaucratic or anything like that. Yeah. Um, uh, it could just start off as just, you know, a few people and there could be start off as part-time. Uh, there's some that have full-time uh, as well, um, but it could just be a few people. Um, uh, and, um, you know, th- their role is, you know, a couple things is to come up with a strategy, you know, for, for automation. Uh, and maybe they, they start in a certain department or, you know, a certain, certain area of the company, and then they go from there. Uh, and then they, they help with uh, education, you know, getting people to understand this new technology and how to use it, training and, uh, you know, keep getting people to start using it and also to start, a, you know, getting things done with it and, and keep using it. So, um, you know, it, it's hard to get software to be adopted if there's no, there's, there's no entity within the organization to, to encourage that. Um, so I think that's important for something like this, um, because one thing about processes is that they're just prone to inertia, you know, people come to, well, not as many people come to work anymore, but, you know, people come to work and they, they do this, they do this and they do that, whatever. And they just keep doing that every day, the same things. And, um, you know, to get them to do something different is, is a tough, Mm -hmm. is, is a tough one. So. Yeah, the COE, I think, is, is a way to help prod the organization and get, get them to start using the software and get benefits quicker uh, from, from that software. Um, but yeah, in my book, I, I have an example with Intuit in their finance department. And, you know, they just start off with a couple people. Uh, you know, this is a big company, but they start with, and I think they did use UiPath, if I remember right. Um, and... Uh, you know, they, they had a PowerPoint. It come out, came out with a PowerPoint setting forth the objectives and the ideas and their timelines and things like that. It wasn't that long. And that's how they started. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it got more sophisticated as time went by. But it was important for the success of the implementation because there, there, was, there was a place to go and, and there's some leadership involved in uh, um, so I think that's why, and I think that's something else we're going to probably see in the next few years is more of these COEs, For because sure. I think, yeah, if you, if you want to get the best benefits out of automation, that, that's probably what you need to do. I think so as well. And I, I think one of the main reasons that I see why you need a COE is I think without it, a common organizational structure you'll see for RPA is where it sits under IT and there's one group that will build the bots, so it will build the automation, and then another group that will maintain it. And I find that really problematic. Because, you know, what I see is, you know, the group that builds the automation, they do a great job and they estimate the maintenance costs and they estimate the future licensing costs and they and they estimate how much savings this is going to be. And they say, Kate, we just saved this department $300,000 and they create it and it works and they high five each other and then they never <laughs> think about it ever again. <laughs> right. And then meanwhile, the other team that's doing the maintenance, they're just doing their job and they're getting tickets and they're fixing things, fixing things, fixing yeah. things. Yeah. And the maintenance costs are way more. Than, yeah. than we're estimated. 
right? And yeah. then and then also, so two things there. We're not we're having we're not really getting the benefit of what we thought because we're spending more maintenance. And two, we're not learning from mm -hmm. from you know we're not progressively learning from not mistakes, but just from life, right? We're not learning right. from what it looks like with these bots in production. So is that is that another thing that you see where why a COE is a good idea, or is that a common setup that you've seen as well? Yeah, I I think that's a good point. I think uh, one thing the the challenges with RPA and you, you hit on it is that uh, well one thing RPA is good at is repetitive, manual, frequent processes. You know those processes that require a lot of judgment and are not as frequent are usually terrible for for traditional RPA. Maybe if you have some sophisticated AI or intelligent automation, maybe it's different. But you know, the first thing is find those areas where there's a lot of stability in the rules and the processes so the bots don't keep breaking and mm -hmm. you have to keep maintaining and changing these and updating these bots. So you know, makes it difficult to scale the automation. It also increases the cost. Uh, you know, in, in some ways you think you're saving, um, you know, hours when all of a sudden you're just kind of pushing hours over to people that need to redo these bots and update the bots and change everything on the other end on the other end you're kind of shifting you know time from one place to the other um and that doesn't get you too much so um you know start again start off with those areas where automation makes the most sense and where again it's more of the repetitive more rules-based types of processes that, you know, you can kind of just, you know, let it ride for a while and it should not need too much maintenance. Yeah. If you have a lot, if you have a whole huge need for maintenance, you got to wonder, <laughs> um, did you really pick the right place to automate? I think that's an absolute great point. And I, that's again, another reason why you need a COE is to make sure that you're automating the right thing and yeah. you're automating the right thing the right way. Like it's not all yeah. about, yeah, you mentioned low code as well. You know, there's other yeah. ways to do things. And I think that again was one of the reasons why we, you know, to play on the name of our podcast, we tangled up this so much is because we were, we just, Oh, we have this RPA tool. Let's just throw everything in there. Right. And, and yeah. do it. And it's, you know, not everything needed, needed to be RPA. Right. So that's it's, right. So that I think that's like a that is yeah. Well, yeah. well, Tom, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So tell us a little bit more about the books you've written. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, most of the books revolve around technology, high level, you know, non-technical, usually for, for managers. Uh, the, the AI book came about because I just, you know, I saw that the industry was growing very quickly. And that meant that um, there'll be a lot of managers who are non-technical who will be involved in these AI projects. And uh, you know they're they're not they're not going to go and become data scientists and spin up, you know, models and you know do all the the things that data scientists do. But they do have to understand the basic concepts behind these you know AI or ML or deep learning and so forth. So that was kind of the idea behind that book. And then you know the the RPA book was basically the same idea. I do have a chapter on there on how to create a bot using UiPath. Uh, but that's really the only kind of technical, I guess I don't, you know, it wasn't that technical because it was a pretty basic bot that I created. Uh, I forget even what the bot was about, but it's a pretty basic bot. Uh, most of it is really for business people and managers to understand the different use cases, when to use it, how to set up a COE, 
you know, I talk about low code, no code. Um, so I talk about all kinds of different things that revolve around RPA as well as the artificial intelligence uh, part of it. So um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's um, yeah, there's no shortage of things to to write about in this in 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 the in the IT world. Um, and um, um, yeah, it, it, uh, uh, if you really want to learn a topic, uh, write a book. That'll <laughs> <laughs> and read yeah, one yeah. as well. So yeah, that's true. Out your books because you have a lot of great things to say about this. And what I really like about talking to you, and I, I imagine it's great working with you as an advisor, where you just, you know, you have a, an in-depth knowledge, but I think truly the title of your first book, you really do a great job of speaking to, to a non-technical audience as well, right? So it's meant for business people, and I, and I really yeah. like that. So so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And, you know, you. if we keep doing this, I'd love to have you on again someday. This is fantastic. Sounds great. Really appreciate it. And good luck, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Tom. Have a good one. Thanks. All right.